0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I uh, I came down with a little something where my I think I was losing my voice last night. I should not have been singing. I could not help it, though, so forgive me if I cough on you while preaching this morning. Um, I am so excited about this this morning. We've got some work to do. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, open with me to the book of Titus, chapter 1. Last week, we set kind of the groundwork for this, and we talked about being in the world but not of it. How, How can we as the church relate to... The world around us. And so we, like the, the church Paul was addressing in Crete, we find ourselves in a culture that does not love what you love, is counter to the gospel, hostile toward the message of scripture. We are a part of a culture that we talked about last week where it's no longer a positive mark on your resume to say you follow Jesus or belong to a church. That we stand in a culture, we are in a culture where that is no longer the case. So what do we do? Do we run? Um, Do we withdraw? Do Do we withdraw from the world and huddle together in safety and solitude? Is that what our response should be? Or do we just say, you know what, let's embrace it. Let's just grab this world and all that it has. Let's join them so we're not weirdos. Let's just be a part of this world. Is that what we do? Last week, we talked about there being a better way, that Scripture puts forth a better way, that we would be in the world, but not of it, that we would not be of this world, but that we would be sent into this world for the sake of the gospel, that we would make this world a better place in the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to, that we wouldn't run and hide, and that we also would not join and embrace, but that we would be in this world, not of it. Now this text this morning, we jump in, Paul wastes no time at all in getting to this work. And he starts in the church. He starts right in the church before he moves out. Specifically, doesn't just start with the church, he starts with the leaders. There's a principle we're going to see all throughout Titus. And as simple as this may sound, it is this, leadership matters. Leadership in the community, leadership in the home, leadership in the church, leadership matters. God takes leadership seriously, and so should we. And so Paul starts with this in the church. Um, Just for some context, what we know is that Paul and Titus were working together for the gospel in Crete. What we don't know is why Paul has to leave. And he leaves before the work is really fully done. He leaves when there's still work to be done, but he has to leave. And what we do know is that Paul, even though he leaves, leaves his best to finish the work. He leaves his best. He's poured out so much into Titus, so he leaves Titus to do the work. And we see in verse 5, which is where we're going to pick up, he says, This is why... I left you in Crete. This is why. I have two things here and they're very they're intimately related. Paul says, "This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you." Paul's focus here is to finish the work that had already begun. To number 1, put things in order. Finish it out. Get things, get the house in order, right? And then the second thing is to appoint elders in each town. This is the plan for the church, the aim for the church, that there would be order and that leaders would come up from within. And Paul leaves Titus to do this work. And I want to highlight one truth before we get into this any further, and that is this, is that God cares for the church, and when I, when I say that, I want us to grab hold of this. I'm not only talking about the church globally. Like the people of God, the church everywhere. That is definitely true. God does care for the church global. But what I'm talking about when I say God cares for the church is we need to understand he cares for the local church. To make this more specific, he cares for this church. He cares for Stone Oak Bible Church. We are not a social club. We are not a place for you to come and get kind of entertained each week. We are not a social justice initiative. The Bible says we are the church. We are his. That Jesus died for us. That we are his people. This means that you make up the church. That we are not consumers or critics or spectators of it, but we are it. This is our calling, and God cares deeply for us together. Specifically, he cares for the order and unity and leadership of the church. And uh, I don't want you to miss this. The timing of us arriving to this text this morning is just incredible. It's almost like God has a plan. Um, He does. Um, But... How perfect is this, that over the next month, we are going to be engaging in exactly what we are about to read? Here at Stone Oak, over the next month, we are going to be be doing exactly what Titus is doing here in Crete. Um, We are going to be identifying and affirming our next elders here at Stone Oak Bible Church. And over the next couple weeks, it is so important that we submit ourselves to Scripture, that we come before this because Scripture, let me say it again, God cares for the local church. He cares for order. He cares for who leads it. So this is just so, so timely for us. So as we get to this, um, one more thing before I get to verse 6 is that Titus and First and Second Timothy... Notice they put them together in the books that, that we have. Um, they're together for a reason. They're, they're often called the pastoral epistles. And, it, and it's almost like um, the, the material in these are so linked. These books are so linked. And so that's why they're together. And in all of all of church history, these letters have been used um, to help the church know how to govern and how to lead and how to appoint elders and how to lead in the churches. And it's important to know that these letters were written to a very specific church. What we read here was written to real people in a real context. For us in Titus, the churches in in Crete, it was written to a specific people. But also as we read these letters, we see the principles of what church leadership should be rise to the surface. I don't want us to miss either one of those things. I want us to see what Paul was writing there to the church in Crete, and I also want us to grab hold of the things that are timeless, universal for us as we look at who leads the church. So the first thing Paul says here in our text this morning is that leaders must be qualified. I'm going to say this about a hundred times this morning, and I apologize, but what's repeated is important, right? What's repeated is remembered, right? So I'm going to repeat it a lot, um, so forgive me, but elders must be qualified so that they are in the world but not of it in a way that will bring glory and not reproach to our God in the midst of our culture. So let's read this again. Elders must be qualified so that we are in the world, but not of it, in a way that will bring glory, not reproach, to our God in the midst of the culture. And by the way, as we work through this, I know elders are on the hot seat this morning as we read, Um, but I want you to notice, I'm just going to read this again, because like I said, I'm going to repeat it a hundred times, so that you're able to be in the world, not of it, in a way that will bring glory and not reproach to our God in the midst of our culture. That's, kind of, that's your call, too. Um, by the way, even if you're not an elder. In other words, elders aren't given this new, like, ah, calling that is, like, so much beyond the normal people. No, as we read through these qualifications, what we are going to see is this is very much in line with God's plan for his people, his church, whether you're an elder or not. This is very much in line for what it means to be a Christian. So as we read this, don't just think, well, that's good for those guys, all right? Don't do that, Um, but let's grab hold of this, all right? So leaders of the church, let me say it one more time, must be qualified so they're able to be in the world, but not of it, in a way that will bring glory, not reproach, to our God in the midst of our culture. This is not for some holier-than-thou kind of reason. In fact, what we're going to see, no one wants that or needs that, and what we're going to see is that that attitude will actually disqualify a person. So it's not about that. Um, But it is that these men will lead well, love well, shepherd well for the glory of God. That is what is important here. That they would faithfully lead themselves, their families, and the church in a way that will be in the world and not of it, in a way that will bring all glory and not reproach to our God. Now, these men are not going to be perfect men. There has only ever and only will be one, that is Jesus. These men will not be perfect men, but these men will wear the responsibility before the Lord. The scripture says that elders will give an account not only for themselves, but for the sheep, the flock that they have been entrusted with loving, serving, leading, protecting. Because this is true, these men must absolutely be qualified. These men must absolutely be qualified. As we look at Crete in this text, this church found itself in a culture that did not like what the church was doing. They found themselves in a culture where they were countercultural. And so these men must be qualified and these men must be countercultural. The same is true for us Church here at Stone Oak Bible. Our leaders must be qualified. God has called us to be in this world, but not of it. Therefore, our leaders must lead in that. So as we look at this, Paul organizes this into three parts, three buckets. The first one is the elder's home. The second is the elder's character. And the third is the elder's devotion to the gospel. The home, character, and devotion to the gospel. Now, Paul's going to unpack these, so let's get to work in in verse 6. Let's start with the elder's home. He says this, If anyone is above reproach, this phrase is going to be repeated, because this is of chief importance for Paul. Paul's concern here is for the church, for the reputation of Christ. Christ. Says the elders must be above reproach, that their lives would not bring shame or reproach on the name of Jesus or upon the church. So Paul focuses first on marriage and family. Marriage and family. Starts with marriage. He says the elder should be the husband of one wife. This is literally translated as a one woman's man, a one woman man, and um, this qualification focuses us on the faithfulness of this man to his wife. Is he faithful to his wife? So this qualification, not only does it serve to disqualify those who are unfaithful in marriage um, because that would bring reproach. But it would exclude polygamy, sexual immorality, all of these things. Because what Paul is clear on is that they would be above reproach, that they would not bring reproach on the name of Jesus. And this kind of sin is not in step with what God has called his church to be. More than that, not in step with who he has called the leaders of the church to be. Specifically here in Crete, let's pull this back into context. Sexual sin was all over the place. God had called this church to be set apart from a culture where sexual sin was accepted. Where, for example, temple prostitution was common. And this church was called to bring glory to God right there in that culture. Christians were called to be in the world but not of it. To marry, to love each other, to be faithful to each other, to remain true to each other in a way, in doing this in a way that would bring glory to God because it was not the norm. It would bring glory to God and that would show God's beautiful design for marriage, that they would represent God, showing his plan. And by doing this, they would show that they were set apart again. And this is the call of the church. To be set apart. And because of that, let it begin with her leaders. The leaders, the elders of the church, are going to live lives, to love their wives in such a way that they exemplify God's good and perfect plan, that they exemplify God's love for his church. And this is huge. Um, I want us to look at this qualification of one woman, man. There are a lot of questions. This one is a hot button. Hot button. If you, if you look at qualifications of elder, if you just Google this, this one will come up. All right, this is a hot button. What does that mean? What specifically does that mean? All of a sudden, in your mind, you start to, things start to pop up. What about Singles. What about widows? What about divorce? What about remarriage? And all of a sudden, these things start to pop into your mind, and I don't want to downplay any of those things. Um, some of these rabbit trails are worthy ones for us to consider together. Um, Christians have come before us and dedicated a lot of their their uh, mental power and time to um, researching this and putting a lot of prayer into this and... Understanding that the main thing in view here is faithfulness, marital faithfulness. Um, with our time this morning, I want to be very careful with the amount of time. I would love to preach a long time, but I get to baptize my son in just a little bit, so I'm not going to do that. Um, and so, what I'd like to do is to give you this is what it means, marital faithfulness. And now, I want to give you the chance if you have any other questions that you would like to push on deeper, because here's the reality. We are about to affirm and appoint our elders here at Stone Oak. This is significant for us that we take this seriously. So we've put together a website. um, It's stoneoakbible.com slash elders. And on this just lists a lot of resources, books. Um, It lists uh, some articles that are a little shorter than the books. Um, and so I'd love to put those in your hand and, and give you the ability for you to go deeper. We're going to be talking more about this over the next coming weeks as we affirm, our, our, uh, we introduce and affirm our elders. Um, but for now, um, the elder's marriage, he must be true, he must be faithful. We must push against the culture, and we must bring glory to God through the way he loves His wife. Then, from his marriage, Paul then shifts to the home. Paul says this, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, this needs a little bit of unpacking because if that first one was a hot button, this one is just maybe a a little bit less hot, but still hot, all right? Um, What I'd like for us to do is consider with me Paul in in 1 Timothy 3, as as Paul gives these qualifications in Titus, we have, very fortunate, we have um, 1 Timothy, where they are basically parallel as he works down these qualifications. So a lot of times it's helpful to say, Paul, what did you mean? Let Paul tell you what he meant by by what he says. And, and these lists include many of the same, same things. These lists have the same major points um, that for qual- godly and qualified men to love and lead the church. Um, but I think it's really interesting here in 1 Timothy 3, specifically verses 4 and 5, This is the parallel to what we just read in Titus. He says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage, listen to this, if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's awesome. Um, We look at this and we see a main theme here, and that is, does he lead his home well? Does he lead his home well? That his kids respect his authority at home? Again, just like an elder, let me, if you're not a parent, let me, your kid won't be perfect. Just like the elder's not perfect, our kids aren't either. Kids are not perfect. It's not a a statement that the kids of an elder have to be perfect, but they are obedient and not insubordinate. That means that These elders are not absentee fathers, they're not abusive fathers, that they love and lead their kids well, manage their household well, because if someone doesn't know how to do that, how on earth are they going to be able to lead in the church? But then notice, as we look at both of these texts, Paul adds something in Titus that is not represented in Timothy. We see submission and obedience, but only in Titus do we find his children are believers. This term believers is is literally the term that means faithful. Faithful. Much has been written about this. Um, But what is clear is that Paul gives this, this qualification to Titus to identify the elders here in Crete, um, I believe the most natural way to translate this is to see this as faithful, uh, by the way. Um, is it possible for a parent to ensure the salvation of their children? Church, I really, I really wish it was but it is not. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That includes our kids. We do our best to faithfully proclaim the gospel to our children through word and through life. And as parents, we pray let me say that again, we pray, then we pray, and then we pray and then we pray, and then we pray and then we pray. And we pray that the Lord grips their hearts and draws them to himself. So what is Paul saying here with this? I think there's something huge here. Paul is deeply concerned with fatherhood. He's deeply concerned in fa- with fatherhood both in the home and the church. Let me say this. Spiritual leadership at home is a great indicator of spiritual leadership in the church. Spiritual leadership at home is a great indicator of spiritual leadership in the church. Let me say this as well. Elders are the pace setters for discipleship in the church. That they are able to be leading in a disciple making movement, it must begin with them. Paul is deeply concerned about this. Paul encourages Titus. It's like, look around. Look around. Do you want to know who might be able to make disciples in the church? Look around who's making disciples in their home. Find them. Find them. I believe this is at the heart of this qualification. That the heart of this qualification, the very heart, the central concern is discipleship is discipleship. Again, we could say a lot more here. Primary message, though, is that these men are called to be making disciples in the church. And the primary way for us to assess their ability to make disciples is to look right at their home. And this is why Paul says elders must be qualified. So that they may be in the world, but not of it. In a way that would bring glory and not reproach to our God in the midst of our culture. So that no matter what marriages look like in the culture, no matter what homes look like in the culture, no matter what, these elders should be in the world and not of it. And they should be able to lead through that. They would be faithful in their marriages and they would be spiritual leaders in their homes. That is the elder's home. Let's zoom out for a moment. And let's look at the elder's character. For an, elder, for an overseer, same word for elder, pastor, bishop, boop, all same words. So an overseer, as God's steward, same thing again, must be above reproach. Points us back to Paul's main theme here. Since the elder is going to be entrusted with the work of God, he must be above reproach. Character matters. And here's what we're going to see. Paul is going to list out five vices and six virtues. Five vices and six virtues. Five negatives, commands, and six positives. Um. A commentator says this really well, says, since the office of bishop is one of authority and comes with power, the vices that are named here to which a person, are the ones that a person in this position would most likely be tempted. In other words, these are the common pitfalls, these are the common traps, these are the common footholds that the enemy would like to use. To ignore these things would be foolish, because to ignore these things would be like saying, here, enemy, here's a foothold. And he lists these things off. He says, number one, he must not be arrogant. This is translated as overbearing or self-willed. This is, deals with the ability to hear and respond well to others. This goes against, directly against any kind of rigid, my way or the highway kind of character. This goes against the heavy handed, I know what's best, get in line. That kind of leader will do harm. Paul says he must not be like that. He must not be prone to that. Instead, a Christian leader should be sensitive to use his position. And authority in the church in a way that would truly promote God's work and not his own personal agenda. He would not be arrogant. Then he says, or quick-tempered. A commentator says this, one who cannot control his own emotions cannot exercise proper judgment over church matters. Especially those issues that will inevitably evoke strong feelings. This is absolutely true and so important to understand. It is not that an elder will not have strong feelings, strong emotions, be passionate about things, but it does mean that those emotions, those opinions, those passions will not lead to an impulsive and divisive reaction that would do more to complicate the problem than to solve it. It does mean that these emotions and feelings and passions should not bring reproach, as Paul has said over and over, that an elder must have self-control. Next, he says, is not a drunkard. This is an elder that would not be given to too much wine, who would not cope with the troubles of life, the struggles of life, through alcohol. Because this, Paul says, would lead to reproach. This would lead to harm. This would present an enemy with a foothold. So Paul says, guard against this. This directs us right back to self-control. Right back to self-control and to healthy coping mechanisms. Paul says, identify those potential footholds that the enemy might get. Watch for this, and next he says, or violent. Of course, this deals with physical violence, physical violence, that an elder should not be violent. The literal word is a striker, not in the soccer sense, Um, a striker, one who strikes. Physical violence is absolutely unnecessary, has no place in any position of leadership. How much more true is this in the church of God? Leaders in the church. This is not only physical violence. This is words. This is is our actions. All manifestations of violence. Think of it like this. We are followers of Jesus who, although was struck, did not strike. Who, although was verbally attacked, did not attack back. We are followers of Jesus, and our elders must demonstrate that. Not violent. Lastly, Number five is not greedy for gain. The last vice deals with the temptation to use the church and to use the role that you have in the church to serve himself, to serve his own agenda. Greedy for gain. This is the opposite of what a servant leader should be. That he would not be looking to use money, people, power, whatever it may be, as a platform to bring himself glory. But that, as we said, that he would use this as a way to bring glory to God. Not greedy for personal gain. To use it any other way, in other words, Paul would say, that would, just, that would be just like the world around you. Let's push against that. That would bring reproach, and we want to bring glory So these are the vices. These are the negative commands. I want us to shift forward, and I want us to look at some of the positives. There are six of them. Let's look at these virtues. The first one is hospitable. Hospitable. This is more than just baking good cookies, keeping your house clean so that visitors can pop in from time to time. It is more than that. This is an absolute devotion to the welfare of others, the giving of ourselves and our own agenda and our own comforts so that we can engage in the lives of those around us. This is giving our lives to impact others. That is hospitality. Now, if that, in, if that is through the baking of wonderful cookies, then yeah, cook on, bake on. But it is more than that. It is opening our homes, it is opening our calendars, it is opening our budgets, it is opening ourselves and our own preferences so that we may love others well. And elders should be engaged in the lives of others. In other words, this is hospitality. Our elders must be the pace setters for this. Paul then says a lover of good. That is a They would be driven for what is good, noble, and just. That we would live out Philippians 4 8 that says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We should see this in our elders. Next is self control. We have seen the opposite of self control and the vices, but here Paul says, reaffirms, an elder must be self controlled. This is in words, this is in actions, this is in life. And by the way, again, pause button, this is not just for elders. Um, self control is a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> um, not just for elders, self controlled. Next, Paul says upright. This is to be just or righteous. This is a commitment to do what is right, to know what is true and what is just. The next one I love this is holy. Holy. Remember, let me say it again. I said I was going to say it a hundred times. Elders must be qualified so they may be In the world, but not of it, in a way that will bring glory and not reproach to our God in the midst of culture. Holy is a a word that says that, to be in the world, but not of it. It's to be in the world, but to be set apart from it, distinct from it, that they would be holy, called to be a holy people. An elder must be distinct, set apart in the world, but not of it, committed to a life separate separated to a devotion and service of God lastly is self disciplined he must be disciplined this talks about the power the lordship the mastery over yourself this is self discipline that you are able to bring that an elder would be able to bring his life his desires his body under control Again, will he be perfect? No, there is only one who is perfect. But elders must be able to demonstrate these things by the grace of God. It matters who leads the church. God cares for his church and who leads it. So Paul looks at the elder's home, he looks at the elder's character, and then lastly he looks at the elder's devotion to the gospel. Listen to this. He must hold firm to the to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. This means that an elder's primary responsibility is to know the gospel so that he is able to proclaim it and protect it. Proclaim it and protect it. Listen, church, the gospel will be attacked. The world will attempt to distort it, to bend it, to mold it into something else. And elders are called to protect the gospel from that kind of attack. Um, I'm reminded, you you might have heard this, but I'm reminded of um, those who are trained to spot counterfeit dollar bills. And the question is, how do you train? I mean, there are millions of ways to make a counterfeit, Dollar bill, I don't know if that's literal, but you know what I mean. So how do you train someone to spot counterfeits? It's not by studying counterfeits. No, the way you train someone to spot counterfeit bills is you train them to study the original, to study the real thing so that they would know the original so well that they would know it, that they would be able to spot a distortion. That they would be able to spot even the most subtle variation. Church, the gospel, faces many counterfeits. All kinds of counterfeits. And it is up to us chiefly, primarily, Scripture says, up to elders That elders are given the task of identifying and addressing these kinds of counterfeits. And just like counterfeit bills, the way to spot a counterfeit is to know the original. Our elders must know the gospel so that we can protect against counterfeits. Our church, our future, hangs in the balance on elders doing this well, faithfully. An elder must know the gospel. Paul says that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. In other words, he might, that he may know the gospel enough to proclaim it. And also, Paul says, to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, he needs to know the gospel enough to proclaim it, and he needs to know the gospel enough to protect it. This is the role of an elder. This is the responsibility. This is the charge of an elder. And the men who serve our church this way, let's bring this here. The men who serve our church in this way must be able to do this. If we take Scripture seriously, they must be able to do this. They must be specialists in the gospel to proclaim it, to protect it. God says, or Paul says, look, you need to find men from among you who can lead the church in this way. These elders must be qualified so that they are able to be in the world, but not of it, in a way that will bring glory, not reproach, to our God in the midst of our culture. This is the elder's home, the elders' character and the elders' devotion to the gospel, and these things matter deeply. Deeply. And so, church, my question for us, we won't be able to get much further, Um, my question for us, what now? What do we do with this? What do we do with this? These things matter so deeply for us, church. This matters because, number one, here's what we do with this. This is what God's Word says. It says it is noble and good to aspire to the office of elder. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. I want to be very clear. My hope, my prayer, is that more elders would be raised up here at Stone Oak Bible Church that more would aspire that more would become elders and serve the church and the lord this way we must take this seriously this is the way we protect our church and secure our future my hope my prayer is that in this room even that there are future elders maybe you even haven't even you haven't even thought of it and that sounds crazy Um, God does crazy things, but I pray in this room that God would raise up elders for our church here, and by the grace of God, if we get to send you out to elders somewhere else, I'm going to miss you dearly, but that's awesome too. We would raise up, that we would equip future elders I pray we take this seriously for the sake of the church, our church, for the sake of the gospel. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. I pray also for us as a church because um, today here at Stone Oak Bible Church, right now, we are in the process of identifying and affirming our next elders. And by the way, that is scheduled to be this November. Um, Again, it's almost like God just, has the timing of this just all worked out? Um, up to this point, we have had men who have expressed their desire, their aspiration. Up to this point, we have begun to have the initial conversations, and we've started the vetting process with these men. And over the next several weeks, we, are, we get the great joy of putting them before you. Um, and as we do this, it's important that we stand on God's word, that we take this seriously. That we take this seriously, that we would affirm men who, to the best of our ability, would be qualified so that they would be in the world and not of it, would bring glory and not reproach to our God in the midst of our culture. So here's what I'd like for us to do as we end. Um, I'd like to ask if you would join me in standing You may be here, and uh, you might be a guest and a visitor. I, I love you're here. Thank you for being here. Um, I still want to uh, um, to ask that you would join us in prayer as well. But if you're here and you are Stone Oak Bible, um, I want to invite you to join me to join us specifically in prayer for our church as we identify as we affirm, as we install our next elders here at Stone Oak Bible, that we would be a people of the word, submitted to the word, and that we would step into the future in a way that honors and glorifies Christ in everything that we do. So let's end this morning, and let's just come together as a church in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, your word is so good Who am I, who are we that you would be mindful of us? Yet, as we have sung and celebrated already this morning, you have loved us. You sent Jesus to die for us to accomplish what we could not so that we can know you. You have called us to be your people set apart in this world but not of this world in a way that will bring you glory and not reproach. This is who we are. This is our calling. So this morning, um, as a church, we pray that you would move and lead among us. We pray that you would help us as we identify and select the next elders of our church, Because we know you love our church even more than we do. Would you help us to, through your word and through your spirit, through your wisdom, to walk together in unity as we affirm and appoint our next elders? God, you are good. You are so good. You are so full of love. You are faithful. You are kind. You are patient. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would help, that you would lead, that you would guide, and that we would give you all the glory as you do that. In Jesus' name, amen.